Well, it's a delight to see you all, and uh, we've been going through the core values of Spark. This is week 19 of Spark. We started brand new. Yeah, woohoo! Got a couple woohoos out of that. We started back in October just with a passion and a dream to do something in the Bay Area that was um, based around some very core things. And uh, we've been a part of church our entire lives, Danielle and I, and we were very familiar, I suppose, with kind of your regular statements of faith, and we're definitely of the Orthodox Christian brand of, of faith and all that kind of stuff. But we had been thinking and dreaming about doing something in this Bay Area that would allow people from all sorts of different walks and different faith persuasions and different journeys in life to gather together to have a safe place of questions. If you're an atheist or an agnostic or a Buddhist or a Muslim or a Mormon, whatever you are, in addition to being a Christian, we hope this is a place that you feel welcome. We are very centered around Jesus. That's going to be our next series that we're going to talk on. But we wanted to make sure that we created an environment where you could come and ask questions and you can feel safe. And in fact, one of our members, somebody who's been coming for a while, mentioned that to us, that this is a safe place to ask questions and to journey and to wrestle and those kinds of things. So that, that really made us uh, really excited and really happy and really thrilled about that. And so Spark began, and we've been going through, therefore, the very beginning of October, our core values. Now, core values are things that identify who we are. And today is going to be the last teaching that we give on the core values. It's going to be a summation of all of them, and here they are. The first and central most important value being love, and we talked a lot about loving God and loving others, and how love, when we understand love, transforms our entire perspective of everything. It's not just one thing we do, it transforms everything we do. So we talked about seeing the world and seeing the Bible through love-colored glasses, and so when we look at passages that are really controversial or look at um, issues that are really tentious, contentious, or we look at how religion should relate to one another, those different types of things, the central command is to love. And Danielle gave a phenomenal message. Uh, it's, it's on the website on the other is my brother and how we should learn to love the people who are even very much not like us. And we did not plan it at all but it was the Sunday right before election day that she gave that message. And we saw a Facebook post that says, boy, I'm glad I went to church that day to learn how to love the other um, during the election season. So we, we've talked about love. We've talked about the reputation of God. We've talked about rescue. We've talked about reconciliation. Um, and last, most recently, we've talked about resurrection. So those messages are online. Tonight, I want to do something a little bit different. Last week was very intellectual. We talked about the historical argument for the resurrection and about how our faith, the Christian faith and the Christian claim, is that it's rooted in history. You can actually do historiological, historiographical research on the Christian faith, specifically the resurrection, and discover that this is something that is in real space in real time, ever all the way back from Genesis all the way through Revelation, real space, real time. And so we went through a lot of those arguments, and we had a, a nice discussion. There were some wonderful questions. I posted some of my responses to the questions online, so if you're interested in that. And in light of everything that we've always done, if you have further questions, you can always email us. Um, there's actually an Ask the Pastor little thing that we have on the website, and we just love those questions. We want to engage with you. We want to make this a free, full, safe environment for you to engage. But tonight, I want to do something almost completely different. As we've talked about the values, what I want to share with you is the value of the stories that these values live. 
the values are words and abstract concepts and ideas that we hold very, very dear to our heart. But what does that mean and what does that look like in everyday life? And how does that play out in our community? So anybody a fan of This American Life on NPR? You, you listen to that? Am I, okay, we got, okay, we got this side, this half of the room. Very nice. A couple of you back there. Uh, this American Life has a fun little pattern that they'll do act one, act two, act three, whether it's around a particular subject. And so tonight's a little bit like that. I want to share with you some stories that have captivated my heart and my soul, uh, stories that I think would be wonderful for us as a community to share together and then to think and process how do these values live and work out into our community. So I want to share with you a song. I want to share with you an issue. I want to share with you a family story. And then I want to share with you a marriage. So this is going to be a four-act sermon. And we're going to start with the value of resurrection. And again, last week we talked about the historical resurrection being grounded in history. But we also talked about if and since it's grounded in history then resurrection, the value of resurrection, can actually live and work and breathe in our everyday lives. Um, there's a songwriter by the name of John Mark McMillan, and he wrote a song that we're going to close tonight's service with. And the song is How He Loves. And he wrote this, um, produced this album, the title that I absolutely love, The Song Inside the Sounds of Breaking Down. A beautiful title for songs that emerge out of the heartache and out of the pain. And so, um, in light of what resurrection is, he tells a little bit of a story of how this song came to be, and I'd like to share it with you. Love can be such a non-word sometimes. It loses its meaning, its potency, you know, like, I really love a cheeseburger, and then I really love, you know, like, a sunny day, and then I really love my family, like, they're, none of those loves are remotely the same, they're totally different things, you know. About seven years ago, when I was down in Jacksonville, Florida, I flew down there to work in the studio, and while I was down there, we got a call that several of our friends had been in a, a really bad car accident. And um, later on that night, I found out that uh, one of my best friends, uh, Steve, had died as a result of injuries from that accident. I woke up the next morning, and I was uh, just really angry and confused and, and hurt, you know. I process things through music, you know, that's just how I do um, deal with my issues. And so um, I really needed, I felt that I really needed some sort of, um, I needed to have some sort of conversation with God because I was really, really frustrated. I felt like there were some things I needed to say. And so that's what I would do through the music. And that's really a lot of where the song, How He Loves, came out of was I needed these words. I needed this conversation. I'm really looking forward to playing music tonight. I'm really excited to um, be with all the people who are going to be there. He is jealous of me. 
Looks like a hurricane I am a tree Bending beneath The weight of his wind the love I'm singing about in that song is really is not a pretty, clean, it's not a Hollywood, hot pink love. It's, um, it's a kind of love that's willing to love things that are messy and willing to love even the difficult and sort of, um, you know, kind of gross kind of things, you know. Oh, how he loves us so. That's really the kind of song I wanted to write is through this frustrating period and he could, you know, in my anger, in my resentment, and in my frustration, he could still love me through that. You know, and, and in this process of dealing with the, uh, my buddy dying, and um, he could love me through that, and he was okay. He wasn't, you know, offended at the fact that I was angry at God. Just looking at these old uh, lyrics, you know, you think after seven, seven, seven years, it's still really tough. This song isn't a celebration of weakness and anger. It's a celebration of a God who would want to hang with us through those things, who would want to be a part of our lives through those things. And despite who we are, He would want to be a part of us and be a part of our community and be a part of our family. And that's, that's the kind of love I, I think I'm talking about. been singing songs for a long time and many songs and many creative art things that we all enjoy and that we all see. It's amazing to me how many of those come out of deep hurt and deep pain and deep sorrow and many of you have probably felt or experienced or even created something like that. A tragedy in your life, whether it's illness or sickness or abuse or abandonment or something and their expectation that didn't go the way that you wanted it to go. And out of that death, out of the thing that was supposed to be alive, out, out of that going away and out of that unfortunate thing happening in your life, something beautiful can arise and something beautiful can come up. This is not to say that God causes those things so that creation can happen. The value of resurrection is to simply say that we believe that new life can emerge in the midst of all the pain and all the suffering that does happen. We're going to struggle. In fact, one of, these th one of these days, we'll do a whole session on why is there pain and suffering? And what are we supposed to think about that? And what does that say about who God is? And why is there injustice? And what does that mean from a theological perspective and how we worship God? But for now, the value of resurrection is simply to declare and to claim and to boldly state 
that when there is that injustice and when there is that pain and when there is that loss, new life can emerge. Creativity can come out of suffering. Initiative can come out of justice. And hope can emerge out of the unexpected. It is to say that we are going to elevate a greater life rather than the one that we are often so dealt. It is to kind of shake your fist at the devil and say, go ahead, bring it on. Nothing that can happen to me is going to leave me in the state of depression, is going to leave me in the state of death, is going to leave me in the state of despair. It is to say that we believe that resurrection can happen. It happened 2,000 years ago in the person of Jesus, and it can still happen today. And this song by John Mark McMillan that uh, is so beautiful, I've been singing for years now, you know, it's been such a blessing to so many people. Ryan and I were in Mexico with 500 of our closest friends with the King's Academy a couple years ago. And we were, you know, we were sharing the stage and, and leading the kids. And we sang that song, How He Loves, over and over and over again during that time together. And I remember just a palpable presence of the Spirit and God moving and changing the hearts of those kids. And I think to myself, these kids may not know the unfortunate story of the death of the friend of the author, but they are experiencing something new, something beautiful, something creative, something reviving in their life. And that came out of a place of death. And again, it's not to say that God causes it, but it's to say that we believe that great and beautiful and wonderful things can happen out of that death. So that's resurrection. That's act one. Act two because we only have four acts, we're going to combine two of these values, which is the reputation of God and re- the reconciliation of all people unto God. Now, we've done some wonderful teachings. Remember Rabbi Ari when he came? And some of you are like a little concerned about what he was going to say, and it was a wonderful time of conversation. And we've talked about how reconciling the Jews and Christians together and trying to figure out how, how that we can have common ground in conversation uh, has been a wonderful thing. He, and he was, it was great. It was so wonderful to have him uh, come and share and the challenges that we're all going to face and trying to figure out how all that works. And then we also talked about how the whole story of the Bible from Genesis to Revelation is a reconciliation of us back to the way God originally wanted and desired. But most recently, there's a story that's been in the news that many of you are going to know about that I thought captured this idea of reconciliation in a whole new palpable way, very visceral, very real way. Has anybody had one of these sandwiches lately? Are they yummy? Are they good? When you go to Chick-fil-A and you eat a sandwich, are you making a political statement? Or are you just simply saying, I just want a chicken sandwich? (laughs) The yellow barbecue sauce? The waffle crust? Okay. We have some Chick-fil-A fans in the house. Very, very nice. Well, recently, Chick-fil-A came under some uh, scrutiny, of course, and some controversy regarding the chief operating officer, uh, Dan Cathy, uh, specifically with this particular organization, Campus Pride, which is a gay rights advocacy group. And recently in the Huffington Post, there was this article entitled, Dan and Me, my coming out as a friend of Dan Cathy and Chick-fil-A. Now, if you don't know, um, Dan Cathy made a public statement regarding his personal conviction and belief regarding what biblical marriage is and how it should be played out in society. And he made statements along the lines of, uh, we are um, 
it would be audacious of us to tell God how we should run ourselves. And it's the similar stories and similar statements that you've probably heard from others. Well, like, um, like other statements that provoke controversy, this was no different. And the gentleman who is the executive director and founder of Campus Pride writes this article and he says this, like most LGBT people, I was provoked by Dan's public opposition to marriage equally and his company's problematic giving history, meaning they've been giving money to organizations that in their mind are anti-gay. I had the background and history on him, so I thought, and had my own preconceived notions about who he was. I knew his character. No way did he know, know me. That was my view, but it was flawed. On August 10th, and this is where the story takes this beautiful turn. On August 10th, 2012, in the heat of the controversy, I got a surprise call from Dan Cathy. Uh, this is Shane Widmeyer, by the way, who's writing the article. He had gotten my cell phone number from a mutual business contact serving campus groups. I took the call with great caution. He was going to tear me apart, right? Give me a piece of his mind, turn his lawyers on me. Um, campus Pride had initiated a, a campaign to boycott Chick-fil-A and to you know, do that whole kind of a deal. The first call lasted over an hour, and the private conversation led to more calls the next week and the week after. Dan Cathy knew how to, knew how to text, and he would reach out to me as new questions came to his mind. This was not going to be a typical turn of events. His questions in a series of deeper conversations ultimately led to a number of in-person meetings with Dan and representatives from Chick-fil-A. He had never before had such a dialogue with any member of the LGBT community. It was awkward at times, but always genuine and kind. It is not often that people with deeply held and completely opposing viewpoints actually risk sitting down and listening to one another. We see this failure to listen and learn in our government, in our communities, and in our own families. I would also say in our churches. Dan, Kathy, and I would, get to, would together try to do better than each of us had experienced before. Never once did Dan or anyone from Chick-fil-A ask for Campus Pride to stop protesting Chick-fil-A. On the contrary, Dan listened intently to our concerns and the real-life accounts from youth about the negative impact that Chick-fil-A was having on campus climate and safety at colleges across the country. He was concerned about an incident last fall where a fraternity was tabling next to the Chick-fil-A restaurant on campus. Whenever an out gay student on campus would walk past the table, the fraternity would chant, we love Chick-fil-A, we love Chick-fil-A, and then shout, shout anti-gay slurs at the student. Dan sought first to understand, not to be understood. Let me say that again. Dan sought first to understand, not to be understood. He confessed that he had been naive to the issues at hand and the unintended impact of his company's actions. Chick-fil-A also provided access to internal documents regarding uh, the giving. Through all this, Dan and I shared respectfully, enduring communication, and built trust. His demeanor has always been one of kindness and openness. Even when I continued to directly question his public actions and the funding decisions, Dan embraced the opportunity to have dialogue and hear my perspective. He and I were committed to a better understanding of one another. Our mutual hope was to find common ground if possible and to build respect no matter what. We learned about each other as people with opposing views, not as opposing people. Um, after this article, and I'll read, read one more excerpt, uh, Shane was interviewed on the Huffington Post. Dan and I would talk about faith. Uh, we would talk about family. Never once did I hide the fact that I 
been together with my husband for 18 years. Uh, he's my first love. He is my partner. And Dan respected that. He even asks about my husband uh, when we've met. So, so I think that's interesting. And that's where, at the end of the day, a relationship with someone is what matters and where we can, as Dan would say, um, you know, I'd say in the piece, the blessing of growth, you know, where we can actually um, uh, get to know each other better. So you write, it was awkward at times, but always genuine and kind. Awkward, how so? Well, because you, you walk into any relationship with someone with, with fear, uh, especially someone like Dan Cathy, who didn't need to sit down with me. He didn't need to ask about my family or, you know, my dad who passed away in 2003 from a drunk driving accident. I mean, Dan, Dan was very clear that he considers himself to be um, a Christ-like follower, which in my mind was, was rhetoric and kind of this ministry from the... Uh, from the uh, kind of an evangelical base. And I really didn't understand that until Dan described it. And then I actually saw Dan um, trying to live in the way that he saw Christ would. Um, and I, I challenged that with Dan and I talked to him about that. Um, he sees a clear difference between that and being Christian. And so those are the things that are awkward at times. What I really hope can be learned from this is exactly what Zach said, relationships matter. Um, you know, as I mentioned, you know, Dan would call it the blessing of growth, the idea that two people can come together. We have some common ground. So how can I help um, Campus Pride and Chick-fil-A, you know, move forward and make a difference that could be seen as uh, keeping to both of our values? Um, I don't know and I don't expect Dan Kathy to ever change his views, but I have many family members uh, who love me and my husband, Tommy, for the past 18 years, and 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 likely, I'm guessing they're change their views. But I know at the end of the day, they don't want to harm or hurt me in a way that um, would be damaging. And and that's the conflict that I think our country is experiencing. This is not just a Shane Winmeyer and Dan Cathy issue. Dan writes in the last in the ending of the article, which I think is just so apropos to this value and these values. <clears throat> We were each entirely ourselves. We both wanted to be respected and for others to understand our views. Neither of us could or would change. It was not possible. We were different in dialogue. We were, di we were different, but we were in dialogue, and that was progress. Now, what's important to understand about this, and I recognize that putting this out here, we're not making any statement on the issue. What we're simply saying is that the value, of uh, the value of reconciliation and the value of reputation causes us to think differently about the things that we are deeply convicted about. It, nothing's going to change, at least outside of God's intervention, regarding the ways in which people view how things should be, especially when it comes to political and social issues. And this is going to be a challenge and a conversation that we as the church are going to have to deal with more and more as time goes on. But what's important is to recognize that our witness in how we deal with this is just as critical and important to what we believe about the issue. This is why this is a core value, not just a statement of belief. A core value says, I'm going to recognize that how I reconcile myself to a brother or a sister or another human being is going to be informed by how God is reconciling himself to me. And so reputation 
and reconciliation. Reputation is recognizing our witness to God. You are a representative. We are representatives of God in all of these conversations. Um, The other thing that was so cool about this conversation was Shane saying that we enter into conversations with fear. And we all do that. Who wants to approach another person who has hurt us deeply or who holds opposing views or who has convictions that are opposed to us? So we all enter into those conversations with fear. But reconciliation says we can, through God's love and through his grace, that love can cast out that fear. And ultimately, disciples are learners. In fact, the word disciple, both mathetes in Greek and talmid in Hebrew, actually means somebody who is learning. And for both Dan Caffey and for Shane Wademeyer in this uh, example, they both listen to one another to learn, to grow, to discover. And again, please hear me. We're not making any statements on what you should or what we believe about the issue regarding homosexuality in the church. What we are upholding is the value that Dan Cathy and Shane had regarding having a conversation, listening, learning, growing. And I've been criticized by this value um, by some regarding, isn't this reconciliation not just you and me, but it's to God? I would say absolutely. In fact, we've got it written down very clearly on our website from the 2 Corinthians 5 passage. This is all about ultimately reconciling ourselves to God. And we want to move people closer to God. That's our whole movement. But, you know, in order to do that, we've got to actually move people closer. Sure, we want people to jump over and get into tight, deep, intimate, passionate relationship with God and to be followers of God. But in order to do that, we've got to move closer. And reconciliation goes a step further. Not only do we just get people to move closer, that means we got to move. We've got to make some steps towards movement. So this value says, let's open up these conversations. Let's set aside fear and let's figure out how to learn to grow and learn from one another. Like having Rabbi Ari come and participate in the Feast of Jewish Learning. Like having conversations with the LGBT community. Like having conversations across political lines and figure out how how can we as brothers and sisters bring that reconciliation to pass on this world. Act three. We've talked a little bit about rescue um, with with uh, the Freedom Summit and the Bay Area Anti-Trafficking Coalition. We had special guests come and share about, uh, Mark talked about sharing your rope and um, Dave, Pastor Dave from MPBC uh, shared about um, his stories of rescue, which were just so um, so very touching from his personal stories. And then Sarai shared a little bit. And then we also had fair trade chocolate in the back. So this church rocks. I'm just really thrilled about that. But there's another story of rescue that I wanted to share with you. And this Act 3 story comes from our own community. So Stace, why don't you come on up? And I want to introduce to you Stace Ong. And Stace and I um, had a conversation recently, and we've been friends for a long time, and I would, I'm going to ask you to share a little bit of your story with our community. Everybody, let's welcome Stace. Give him a nice welcome. <laughs> Stace, you, um, when we got together, we talked a little bit about your life, and can you just tell us a little bit of what we talked about? You were um, just starting with being born and the, some of the struggles and the challenges that you had to deal with in coming into this world. Okay. You ready? Can you do this? Are you ready? All right. Okay, so um, when I was born, um, I had a little bit delay thing. So actually, I had to correct it mm-hmm. on what I told you from that. 
death thing. Actually, my mom said that I was hard of hearing, mm-hmm. so they had to put tubes in. And uh, I think yeah. the first time it didn't work, so they had to put it in the second time. I guess it worked the second time. Yeah. So now I could hear in it. But I think it kind of delayed my speech thing as mm-hmm. what the normal, I don't know, what a normal baby right. would, right? And that kind of delayed my learning. So I had to grow up being not the normal kid in the yeah. family. Yeah. And then partly it also was hard because my sister was older than me. Mm-hmm. So she would pick on me. I guess most of the people Sisters are mean. <laughs> They're so mean. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> That, that was really hard, and then <clears throat> it was really hard because I went to school, and then my mom didn't yeah. want me to go to regular school because they mm-hmm. didn't like the way the school, right? Even for a disabled high school, like yeah. Sacramento type thing. So. so going to school and growing up and having to kind of just live in regular life, regular you life and being homeschooled, yeah. and not having anybody that was really, yeah. But you, you had a f- disability, you know, to relate to somebody type thing. Yeah, you, so you had this disability, and it was a hearing disability as well as a, a mental delay. And so you had all these challenges. Yeah, going and, and I don't yeah. really had, you know, a really a best, best friend. That's like, yeah, like so then, then it's lonely, too. Yeah, yeah. it was really lonely. Kids and are think, mean. Yeah, and then from that thing, growing up, that's where I start reading the Bible. and Yeah. So I kind of like kind of figuring out where I wanted to be. Now, you've been also going to, um, oh, by the way, here's some pictures of Stace. Uh, he, Stace went to Israel with us. Um, you mentioned that you're also in th- some therapy right now to help with the brain, to help, help with the mental yeah. capacity. How, and what, what exactly is that, and how is that going? Um, I haven't been in it for like a couple years, but I did it for four years. Mm-hmm. And that kind of helped it. Um, I guess remember I showed you the, the analogy. I guess I'll explain the analogy. <laughs> this doctor basically started it because her her whatever kids was uh, deficient, which means like the bilical cord, the bilical cord was around her like the neck. Right. So she wanted somebody to you know, So she, that's why she started this program. Yeah. So basically, what it did <clears throat> is that she does light therapy. Light therapy? Yeah, light mm-hmm. therapy, reflexes, mm-hmm. um, essential oils, mm-hmm. and dieting, mm-hmm. and reflexes all combined. Mm-hmm. And what it does is, like, it reprograms your brain. For, like, for example, like what I did for, like, San Francisco yeah. to, like, let's say Afghans here, San Francisco Bay Bridge. Mm-hmm. And then what's on this side? Bay Bridge. Basically, you had that Bay Bridge. But let's say, like, Amstan is the correct connection in your brain. Right. Like bridge. So what it does, it reprograms that bridge, tears it down, and tears the right bridge yeah. to that. Yeah. And then, and then the same in analogy, let's say, like, you have San Francisco and Athens, but the bridge, let's say you don't have cars coming in, but you have cars going out of right. San Francisco. So what it does is that it completes that bridge, yeah. that connection. Does, does that make sense? So the therapies are trying to reconnect all those synapses that yeah, unfortunately didn't brain. develop in the way yeah, they should have brain, developed, right? So here, here's a picture of Stace and his dad um, with a group of the people that are yeah, part, of, that part of that therapy. The yeah, so you've been doing And it's been helpful. 
Yeah. Now, one, now, when Stace and I got together, one of the things that we talked about is your parents. And I, I asked um, Stace's parents to come and share, but they did not want to share it all. They feel very humbled and very, um, th- they don't feel like they have a great story. But one of the things that I need to tell you about this story is that when I got to meet Stace's parents, they, and you don't remember this apparently, some of the things no. that they did, but in order to get Stace to a point where he could be fully independent so that he d- wouldn't have to be codependent, there would be uh, fake interviews with dad and he would sit down and make you do the interview. Okay, here's how you conduct an interview. And then your mom took you out driving and she had white knuckled on the, uh, uh, on the dashboard and, you know, get, getting you to... The remember d- about that is that I had no desire to drive. You had no desire to drive, yeah. <laughs> But your mom made you. Yes. Yeah. And there were other things, too, where um, Stace's sociability was, um, was challenging because of your disability. And then it was also cha- challenging to figure out schooling and education and all that stuff. And the reason why I wanted Stace to sh- share a story, number one, Stace is a part of Spark. And we're just so thrilled. We love you. And we're glad that you're a part of Spark. And number two, I felt like the story that, that your parents are telling in and through you, I mean, You've got a job where now? Where, what are you doing? You're well, definitely it's my second job. It's your, so okay, well, what's, yeah. what's, what are you doing? What's your job now? Um, I you work at Whole Foods in Cupertino, and I do Shout out for Whole Foods. Work, uh-huh. but right now I'm going to school for environmental studies. Yeah. So I can and you've been at Whole Foods for how long? I uh, started in F- 2000, so. So 12, 12, 13 years. Well, it's 12 years now, yeah. but. In, I guess, in three weeks. Okay, yeah. Three or two weeks, it will be 13. 13 years at Whole Foods. Holding down a job, driving yourself there. It's a phenomenal thing, yeah. See, yeah. see they love you. And Stace doesn't remember some of the stories that um, mom and dad were telling me, but, you know, to think about, and, and Stace has been so phenomenal, recognizing that, you know, I have this disability and, and trying to work, and, you know, we've been working closely together to, to get him fully um, integrated into the Spark community. But for me, as I was thinking about this message and thinking about, you know, some of the conversations that we've had, um, Stace's parents, I, in my mind, just deserve so much credit. They worked really, really hard to get Stace to the point with the therapy. You know, dad's, you know, there and working really hard to get you to a point where you're fully independent now and you have a job and you're pursuing education. The brain therapies are helping and they're making a difference in your life. And to me, that was just a beautiful, one beautiful story of rescue. So many of these stories could end up in in a different direction. And here we have a story of Stace being a part of our community. So thank you for sharing. Good job. These passages in the scriptures are about binding up the brokenhearted and freeing the captive and loosing the chains of those who have been imprisoned. And so rescue is a core value of what we do. And we are going to continue to talk about that, whether it's uh, human trafficking, whether it's rescue from abuse, whether it's rescue from abandonment, whether it's rescue from any of those kinds of things. This is the story in the way of Jesus. That's Act 3. Act 4. The most central value to us and to the scriptures is the value of love. And remember, I talked a little bit about seeing everything through love-colored glasses. And there's this one story that I think sums it up um, really phenomenally, amazingly well. 
Uh, this is Robertson McKilkin, if I'm saying his name correctly. McKilkin, I think it is, or McKilkin. And he was a prominent, well, you can see some of his uh, degrees there, uh, Columbia International University, master's from Fuller, honorary doctorate from Wheaton College, and an honorary doctorate of divinity from Columbia International um, College. And he, as um, many stories might happen to go, met a beautiful young woman named Muriel at Columbia Bible College. And on Valentine's Day in 1948, um, he proposed, and they married in August of that following, of that same year. In 1968, they returned, after being missionaries for several years, they returned to the United States, and Robertson became the president of Columbia Bible College, which is now Columbia International University. Muriel taught at the college, spoke at women's conferences, appeared on television, featured on radio programs, etc. The first sign that their lives were about to change appeared in 1978 during a trip to Florida to visit some friends. Muriel loved to tell stories and punctuated them with her infectious laughter. But while they were driving, she began to tell a story she had just finished a few minutes earlier. Robertson said, honey, you just told us that. But she laughed and went on. In 1981, she was hospitalized for tests on her heart, and the doctor told Robertson, you may need to think about the possibility of Alzheimer's disease. It was hard to believe since the disease which causes progressive degeneration of the brain does not usually strike someone so young. And by 1990, Robertson knew that he needed to make a decision about his career. He actually writes about this story in this book. The school needed him 100%, but Muriel was declining and then also needed him 100%. And in the end, Robertson decided to step down from his position, a very prestigious one at the time, radio station, prestigious position, very high profile. But this decision to step down was very easy to make, and he describes it in his final speech to the college. I haven't in my life experienced easy decision-making on major decisions, but uh, one of the simplest and clearest decisions I've had to make is this one, because circumstances dictated it. Uh, Muriel, now, uh, in the last couple of months, seems to be almost happy when with me, and almost never happy when not with me. In fact, she seems to feel trapped, becomes very fearful, sometimes almost terror. And when she can't get to me, there can be anger. She's in distress. But when I'm with her, she's happy and contented. And so I must be with her at all times. And you see, it's not only that I promised in sickness and in health, Till death do us part. And I'm a man of my word. But as I have said, I don't know with this group, but I've said publicly, it's the only fair thing she sacrificed for me for 40 years to make my life possible. So, if I cared for her for 40 years, I'd still be in debt. However, there's much more. It's not that I have to, it's that I get to. I love her very dearly, and you can tell it's not easy to talk about. She's a delight. It's a great honor to care for such a wonderful person. Man, I love that story. 
Muriel's last day on earth was September 19th in 2003. In a letter to friends, Robertson wrote, for 55 years, Muriel was flesh of my flesh, bone of my bone, so it's like a ripping of my flesh and deeper my very bones. But there is also a profound gratitude. For 10 years, I've delighted in recalling happy memories. I still do. No regrets. I'm grateful. This story is an amazing one to me, and I, 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 I've never gotten tired of it. Um, it illustrates a couple things. Number one, it's this tension that we, I think, all have and we all feel between the things that we're committed to and the things that we're ambitious about. And with career and with hopes and dreams and the things that we are striving so desperately to attain in this life, to achieve and to acquire, love asks us the question, what are we deeply committed to? What are the things that root us and ground us in our identities and in our love? And so I I love this story because in many ways, there may be ambitions that we all have, and there may be ambitions that we're all pursuing, especially in a fast-placed area like the Silicon Valley, uh, where time, we wish we had 25 hours in the day. But love asks us to pause for a moment and ask the question, what are we committed to? Not just what are we ambitious for? And also, like Robertson's love of Muriel, I, I, man, I just didn't have time to read all the wonderful things. There's this portion in this story and article where he is asked, why don't you just go back to work? She doesn't even know who you are anymore. And he says, but I know who she is, and she's my wife. And that image in that picture, to me, feels so much like the love of God that he has for each and every one of us. There are so many people in this world that don't even know who he is or don't want to recognize him or have lost all capacity to, but yet God still loves and still is committed and still pursues and he still loves in tremendous ways that are beyond what we can even imagine. Uh, So love is the central value. It's the thing that ties all of this up. And so those are our values. And those are our four acts of stories. And this is why we are values-driven. We have core values. We have beliefs, absolutely. But we also have values. Uh, I'm going to ask the team to come up, and we're going to close in the, in the song that we started with. Um, but I want to share with you very briefly why this is so important. We think beliefs are important. Please don't hear that beliefs are unimportant. But so often the beliefs that drive us, especially in religious circles, become the only thing that exists. And it's important for us to have values. And here's why. Beliefs give us a sense of understanding. But these values told through these stories give us a sense of experience. How is it that we understand what these truths are operating in the real world? And each and every one of you can tell some of those stories as well. Uh, Beliefs Give us a way to make really good, cogent, philosophical arguments. Here's why we believe what we believe. But values open us up for conversation. If we value reconciliation, then that means that even though I hold strong convictions and beliefs, I can still have a conversation and learn and grow. Beliefs center us in our identity. They tell us who we are. We are Christian. We believe in the resurrection. We believe that God is three in one. We believe these things. It helps to identify us. But values also open us up to discovery. And they open us up to pursuing whole new worlds that we may never thought before. 
Beliefs are all about measurements. It's about whether or not you believe the same thing that I believe. And the vast majority of the conversations that I have with Christians are all about these nuances. Do you believe this particular thing about predestination or this particular thing about predestination? So it's all about those measurements. And those things are important. But values move us forward. They move us towards conversation. They move us towards figuring out how does predestination or other theological ideas actually work in this world? How can we make them come alive? And to strive or strain or grasp at an analogy, beliefs are the integrity of the ship. But values make that ship go. Where are we headed together as a church? Where are we headed together as a people? Where are we going? Where is God taking us? And this is what's so exciting for me. These stories that I've told, we could spend the rest of tonight just telling stories of all of these values in each and every one of your hearts. As Danielle and I have been sharing meals with you, um, having you over at the house and getting to know you a little bit better, we're hearing amazing stories of all of this stuff, all these values coming to life in this world, coming to life in your life. And so these core values are here because they help us to make a difference and not just a point. Let's make a difference in your life and in my life, in our life, and in the lives of the people that you run into at work and at school. They help us move towards making a difference, towards how we behave. They help us to write stories and not just tell them. We have this Bible and it's very easy for us to pick it up and say, here it is and it's true right here. But then it's also true that values turn the table on us and that Bible that is open begins to write new stories in us. And as we live out these values, just like these stories that were told, we get to tell new stories about what God is doing in and through our Spark community, in and through each and every one of you, in and through your work, places of education, in and through your home and your marriage and your children. So we don't just tell the stories that this is what you're supposed to believe helps us to write new stories. And finally, um, values help us to live the way of Jesus, not just know the way of Jesus. And this is ultimately what this movement is about. It's about figuring out how we can live this out. And so wherever you are in your spiritual journey, wherever you are in, in becoming a part of Spark, these are the core values. And this is what drive us and inform us. And for me, I'm just thrilled and excited Because these stories are not the only story. This is just the beginning of the stories that God is going to tell. The stories of what happened with Stace's life and family. Uh, The stories that are happening with you and your work and your studies. These are stories that need to be told. And these are the values that need to be lived. And transformation can happen as a result of all of that. So these are the values. <clears throat> Lastly, I just want to share with you, um, if Mark will come do this. Thank you, sir. As we sing this together, there's two things that I would love for us to close with. Number one, feel and sense that just like we talked about these values here, God has that same love and passion and pursuit for your heart and your soul. And I pray that that never becomes cliche, that God's undying, never-ending, far-wide-reaching love is pursuing you 
to all ends. And in some of the conversations that I've had with some of you, that's a good reminder. You just need to be told again that you are valued and you are loved. And that's why it's the central value, because it makes everything go. And the second thing as we sing this, what story comes to your mind about how God has moved and worked in your life? And what story, what stories is God about to write in your life and in our life and in the life of our community? So let's sing this together.